I want to talk to you this morning about inside-out fathers. Inside-out fathers. Now, I know that's a little bit of a unique and different title, but hopefully by the time we get done today, you will understand what this title is all about. Inside-out fathers, because here's what I believe. I believe that we need to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. And I believe that we should want to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. And this morning, I want to introduce you to a man in Scripture who was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. And then I want to contrast that with Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he experienced a transformation in his life, but he had to go through a process in order for that to happen. But before we look at the prodigal son, let me introduce you to this man in the Bible that was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside, and his name is Job. Here's what the Bible tells us about Job. It says, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Now that tells us there how big Job was on the inside. And when I talk about the inside, I'm talking about a person of character, a person of integrity. And the Bible tells us that Job was blameless, upright, feared God, and he shunned evil. And then it tells us about how big he was on the outside because Job was both. He was big on the inside and he was big on the outside. And when I'm speaking about the outside, I'm talking about our accomplishments, our success, our image. Listen to what it says about Job's outside. It said that he had seven sons and three daughters who were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man, look at this, was the greatest of all the people of the east. So he was big on the outside, but he was bigger on the inside. And notice what happens in this story in verse 6. It says that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, now get this, God and Satan are having a conversation with each other in heaven. And God says to Satan, he says, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Of course, we know what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And notice what happens in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? Now get this, this is God talking here. And God is saying to Satan, do you know how faithful this man has been? God is saying to Satan, this man is bigger on the inside than he is on the outside. How would you like it 
if God were to be able to say to Satan of you that you were faithful, that there were none like you on the earth, I think that would be pretty awesome to have God say that about me. And so he said, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. But then notice what Satan does. Satan answers the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, Satan looks at God and says, well, no wonder Job's so big on the inside. He's big on the inside because you've blessed him to the point that he's so big on the outside. But he said, if you'll let me take away everything that he has on the outside, we'll find out just how big he is on the inside. Because when you put a man under pressure, whatever's in that man's going to come out of that man. Amen? And so he said, well, if you'll let me take everything that he has, we'll find out just how big Job is on the inside. And so God gives Satan permission to take everything that Job has within a matter of 24 hours. Look at it. I'm going to read it to you this morning. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters... We're eating and drinking wine. This is Job's sons and daughters. We're drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now before that messenger could finish telling Job what had happened, another messenger shows up. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking. Another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Notice, within 24 hours, he's lost everything on the outside. But how does Job respond to this when he's lost everything on the outside? Notice in verse 20, it says, Then Job arose, he tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground. And check this out. And he worshipped he worshiped and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then notice this. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now why could he respond the way that he did when he lost everything on the outside? It's because he was so much bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. Amen? And here's what I want to do this morning now. I want us to go to Luke chapter 15. 
Because in order for us to become men, and men, I want to talk to you this morning. This is a message for everybody, but I especially want to talk to men today. But in order for us to become bigger on the inside than we are on the outside, what is the process to that? And we find that process with the prodigal son. And we see that the prodigal son went through four different stages to get to that place to where he was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. Now, these are four stages that every one of us at some point in time in our life need to go through. They are the stages of biological maturity and they are the stages of, of spiritual maturity and they're also the stages of relational maturity. So let me tell you what stage number one is. Stage number one is the give me stage. Now guys, I know that we, we think simply and so every point today only has two words. So it'll be easy for us guys to remember that, okay? Because we don't remember things very well. And the first stage is the give me stage. Give me, give me, give me. And look at what happens with the prodigal son. With the prodigal son, it says that a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so the father divided to them his livelihood. Notice he's in the give me stage and that's where every single one of us began life biologically when we were babies when we were children it was all about us and then that's okay because that's the way that God created us I mean when we are born we are very dependent people we need others to do something for us but the problem is we're not supposed to stay in that stage you see, I know some 20-year-olds and some 30-year-olds and some 40-years-olds that are, that are still in the give-me stage of life. And those of you that are here this morning that have little children and they're in that give-me stage, you're praying that one day they will grow out of this give-me stage because that's where we all start biologically. That's where we all start spiritually. We may not want to admit it, but when we get saved, we get saved for selfish reasons. We want to go to heaven. We want God to fix our messed up lives. We want to be forgiven of our sins. See, it's, it's all about give me, give me, give me. It's the same way when we first get married. Now, now ladies, I don't think I'm telling you a secret today, something that you don't know, but you do know that that man who married you married you because of what you could give him. And, and, and guys... You know that the reason why that woman married you is because of what you can give her. But here's the problem again. We're not supposed to stay in that stage as married couples. And if we stay in the stage of give me, give me, give me as married couples, sooner or later, you're probably going to end up in my office. And this is probably what I'm going to hear. Pastor, she's not meeting my needs. Or, Pastor, he's not meeting my needs. Why? Because that's where we start biologically. That's where we start spiritually. That's where we start relationally is in that give me stage. But then we move from the give me stage to the use me stage. Now, now listen to how it happens here with the prodigal son. It says that not many days after, 
The younger son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Notice when he asked his father to give to him, he wasn't saying, Father, I want you to give me so that I can be a blessing to other people. No, he said, I want you to give me so that I can fulfill and satisfy my own selfish desires. Now listen, there is a good use me stage. I'll talk about it in just a little bit. But this is not the good use me stage. This is, this is where we're still selfish and we're wanting God to use us because of what it may do for us. Hey, I don't mind telling you that young in my ministry... I would preach in conferences and I knew that there were going to be a lot of other preachers and pastors there. And I'd be back in the office and I'd be praying, oh God, use me today. Oh God, use me today. And one, on one of those occasions, the Holy Spirit just really convicted me and spoke to me and said, listen, why do you want me to use you today? What is your motive behind why you want me to use you? Do you want me to use you to make you look good in front of these other preachers today? For you to sound good, for them to come up to you afterwards and talk to you about what a great message that was. And you know what? At that stage in my ministry, that's exactly what it was all about. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm going to eventually get you to a place to where when you pray, God, use me. It's not going to be for your glory, but it's going to be use me for His glory. Amen? Use me. And you know, that's, it happens like that in marriage as well. Because when we go into a marriage and we want someone to give to us, we don't want them to give to us so that we can better give back. We want them to give to us so that we can be happy. So that we can be fulfilled. I've got news for you this morning. God did not create marriage to make you happy. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, it's working too, Pastor. It's working. He didn't create marriage to make you happy. He created marriage to kill you. I'm not joking about this. Because you cannot be married to and live with another person and be selfish and that marriage work. No. But God brings other people into your life like that to kill you. And if marriage doesn't kill you, what little bit is left of you, the kids will get that. I promise you. You know, these kids, I know one thing, when my kids were little, I never got to do anything I wanted to do. We never went anywhere I wanted to go. I never got to watch the TV shows that I wanted to watch because it was all about the kids. Give me. Use me. And then we need to move to that third stage. Search me. Search me. That's what happened with the prodigal son. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 verse 17, it says, but when the prodigal son, when he came to himself, that is when he began to search his own heart, when he stopped blaming everybody else for how life had turned out for him. And listen, the blame game has been going on since the beginning of time because so many of us could never admit that maybe the reason why our life is in the mess it's in is because of some bad choices we have made. 
No, we, we, wanna, we want somebody to blame for the mess that we've made of our life or the mess that we've made of our marriage. You go back to the beginning of time when God confronted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he confronted Adam and he said, well, God, you know, it wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me. So he's blaming the woman and God. Wasn't my fault. It's that woman you gave me. Let's not forget that before that woman came along, the only thing that he had to enjoy life with were monkeys and other animals, of course. And then when God confronted Eve, she said, well, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. Just past blame, past blame. But notice the prodigal son, it said, when he came to himself, when he searched his own heart. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 23, 24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me. Have you ever lost something really valuable and you spent a lot of time and energy searching for that valuable item? I remember one year I got a card from a family member for Christmas. It had $100 in it. And I went home and I opened the card and the $100 was gone. Man, I searched that house up and down. I, 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 I couldn't even go to sleep that night thinking about where's my $100 bill? Searching for it. I don't know, but sometimes the Holy Spirit just takes advantage of situations like that to speak to me. And he spoke to me and he said, what would happen if you searched your own heart the way that you search for that $100 bill? And what if we would search our own hearts that way? What if we would seek God and search after God just like we would search after something else that we think is valuable in our life that we have misplaced? You see, we've got to move through these stages from give me to use me to search me. And then notice the final stage that the prodigal son went through. It's the stage called make me. And that's where every one of us need to get to. Past give me, past use me. And not just search me, but now God, make me. And listen here to what the prodigal son did. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now listen to what he says. Make me like one of your hired servants. I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter. But make me a servant. God, help me to be a servant to you. Help me to be a servant in your kingdom. Help me to be a servant to my wife. Help me to be a servant to my children. God, I know I'm your son. I know I'm your child, but make me a servant. And that's how you go from being bigger on the out to, to, to being bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. Now, I want to take you back to Job's story. So everybody come back with me. Job chapter 1. And I'm going to need you to help me to do something this morning. Notice it says that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And he had seven sons and three daughters. Okay, everybody help me remember that. How many sons? How many daughters? Add that together. How many do we have? Very good. Very good. I saw some of you like, one care of the one, the zero. Ten. Ten. 
So he had 10 children. He had seven sons and three daughters. Also, his possessions, now look at this. This is his outside. His possessions were 7,000 sheep. Okay, so this section right over here, that, that's, that's your assignment. Remember that, okay? He had 7,000 sheep. Okay, how many sheep did he have? Come on, talk to me. How many sheep did he have? 7,000 sheep, okay? So he had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels, okay, section? You are to remember that. How many camels did he have? 3,000 camels. Okay, remember that. Don't forget. I'm going to be coming back to you. All right, how many sheep did he have? 7,000. How many camels did he have? 3,000. Okay, you're doing good. You're cheating probably on the cheat sheet up here. And then he had... 500 yoke of oxen. That's, this is your assignment. You'll remember that. How many yoke of oxen? 500 yoke of oxen. Okay. And then he also had 500, sorry, sorry section, sorry. He also had 500 female donkeys. All right. I don't know why the Bible said female, but he did. Female donkeys. All right. So how many female donkeys did he have? Oh, come on. Come on. You can do better. 500. Okay. All right, let's see if we got this straight. How many sheep did he have? How many camels? Okay, how many oxen? Okay, how many female donkeys? 500, okay. That's how much he had in chapter 1. He lost it all. He was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. But now let me show you what God did for him in the last chapter of this book. Job chapter 42. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had, look at this, how many, how many sheep did he have in the first chapter? But we come to verse chapter 42, now he's got 14,000 sheep. So, so mathematically, that's what? That's what? Double, right? Double. God doubled how many sheep he had from 7,000 to 14,000. And then notice what it says. He had 6,000 camels. How many camels did he have in chapter 1? 3,000 camels. And now in chapter 42, he has 6,000. Now mathematically, what is that? Double. God doubled the amount of camels. He had 500 in, in chapter 1, how many did he have? I just told you. How many did he have in chapter 1? And in chapter 42, notice it says he now has 1,000 yoke of oxen. Mathematically, what does that add up to? Double. And then he had, in chapter 1, how many female donkeys? 500. And then in chapter 42, he had 1,000. Now, mathematically, what does that add up? Double. God doubled. Everything that Job had. And then you go to the next verse and it says that he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, remind me, how many did he have in chapter 1? He had seven sons and three daughters. He had ten children in chapter 1. Then when we come to chapter 42, he had seven sons and three daughters. He doubled everything else. And I used to wonder, God, why did you double everything else? But we come to the children, and you only gave him back ten children. And here's what the Lord said to me, because children last forever. And he said, for the last 4,000 years, Job has been celebrating with 20 children in heaven. Because God blesses 
a man who is bigger on the inside. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. It doesn't matter the assault of the enemy upon your life. God blesses a man who's bigger on the inside than he is on the outside. Amen. And we need to be more concerned about becoming men of character and integrity than we do about being men of accomplishments and success and image. Amen. And you hear me this morning, men. Integrity will get you so much farther with God than your image will. Did you hear what I just said? And your character will get you so much farther with God than your possessions or your success will. I want to be a man who is bigger on the inside than he is on the outside. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to ask every father in this room to come and join me here at the front of this building today. Every father in this room. Vincent, can you just go ahead and sing some of that good, good father? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Perfect in all your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, yes, Lord. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I want every one of you men up here at the front of this building today to know how much I believe in every one of you. How much I appreciate every one of you. And I want you to hear it from me. You are a good. None of us can be perfect like our Heavenly Father, but I want you to know today you're a good, good Father. You're a good, good Father. I'm tired of the way that this world and our culture seems to degrade men. I'm tired of it and I won't stand for it and listen the only way that we can change the tide of the current is to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside that we get our priorities in order I made up my mind a long long time ago 
Because it seemed like, I don't know if you guys ever observed this, but it seemed like on Mother's Day we would come in and we would honor and we would value and we'd build up the moms and we'd, we'd just hug on them and love on them. Then on Father's Day, we'd just pound, man, we'd just pound daddies to death. I'll never do that. I may have done that before I was one. But now that I know the sacrifice that it takes, the time, the energy, the investment, all of it takes to be a father, you just don't know how much I admire every single one of you guys standing up here this morning. Ladies, don't you admire these men up here today, these, these dads, kids? Don't you admire these dads, these men here today? And the number one greatest need that a man has is to be honored and respected. That's it. It's to be honored and respected. And I want us to make sure that here at Summerton Church of God that we are honoring and we're respecting our men. Well, thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summerton Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community. And we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045. And we would love to have you and your family as our guest.